This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. Go ahead, Tommy. What do we got today? Well, today we're going to look at some like what if scenarios, but a little bit more than what ifs because they're basically they were planned invasions that it was on paper, it was all planned out, ready to go, and for whatever reason they didn't take place. And if some of these invasions did take place, the world would be a dramatically different place, regardless of really of the outcome. Just the fact if that these invasions did happen, our history is different. Just put it that way. Yeah, everywhere. If any of these things are carried out, one way yeah. or the other. All right, so we're talking about world changing invasions. That, that never occurred, that but never they were occurred. planned. But these, this isn't just like, oh, what if this happened? No, this is like, no, this was on paper. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is how many troops. Like these were actually, you know. Contingency most, plans. Yep. Co- contingency plans are ones that were getting ready. They carried out, but something else changed, whether it was the, it was the invasion was no longer needed or the invasion could no longer be carried out because they didn't have the forces or things changed. Like we'll look at a couple that um, constantly evolved. This, this is nothing new, I would think, either. Militaries always kind of, governments always make these plans of, you know, just in case they have to go to war with a country, they have a plan to fight that country. But these are ones a little more detailed than just that, a little bit more carried out. Yeah. And a lot of these, like, I had no idea about until I started doing this research. Some of them that you guys will hear, you might have heard before. A lot of them, there's a lot of smaller plants that never were never Oh, yeah, there's going to be a... There'll be a whole bunch that we don't mention either. Yeah. That's particularly tons. particularly just in from 41 to 45, there's probably like 50 or 60 yep. of these smaller ones. We also have all ones from the 1700s, ones from, you know, the 1800s and stuff like that. But we're going to talk about just a few here and there and see, see where we see where we get to. All right. So I think we should start with the with the one that shocked me, uh, the color coded ones. The rainbow. Well, they have, you have to understand the United States planned out rainbow all these war after World War One, the rainbow war plan. So I actually yeah. remember reading about this years ago. And a lot of them were actually pretty interesting. They actually and they actually carried out like War Plan Orange was to fight the Japanese, and it, it basically planned these this island hopping campaign, which how to beat Japan, which is exactly what the U.S. did when we fought Japan. They, they which is probably what they wind up doing. Right? They probably want yeah, to go they, back and being like, "Huh, what? Did we have a plan for this? Did like, we have a plan? Like, Here's our plan." So they have this <laughs> stuff written down, and they had one in this case, the War Plan Red, which was to fight Great Britain because you have to understand that. After World War One, the U.S. and Great Britain didn't have the best relationship. The best relations, the Anglo-American relations, were not what they are going to become because of World War Two. Like they're not bad. And it really was if it really wasn't for you know kind of being forced to be allies early on, it could have been a little bit different. There was a lot of uh, disputes with like trade lanes, a lot of disputes just with like control of the Atlantic and stuff like that. So I don't know if we would have went to war necessarily over these things. But this war plan red is is what gets me because you know what? It's like you fail once, you try again, you fail twice, you try again. I mean, and the reason why I'm saying that is right because well, we're not going to go fight Britain. That actually war plan red was the idea of a contingency plan to fight Britain, but we're not actually going to fight Britain. The idea was that, you know what, what we're going to do is we're going to do what we've tried doing twice in the past. We're going to actually invade Canada. And the idea is that by invading Canada, the belief was that Britain was very quickly sued for peace, that they would have none of it. They weren't going to risk at the end of World War One, specifically because yeah. they lost so many people. The United States enters World War One towards the end. So we kind of come out, I want to say unscathed because we do lose thousands of people. But in comparison to European in comparison nations, to what Europe is, yeah. And we're not, our homeland is not destroyed. Exactly. 
So this might have been the perfect opportunity for us to do what we tried doing during the Revolutionary War and again during the War of 1812, which is to take Canada. And that was this this plan red, contingency plan of invading Canada. And the steps were very, I mean, like you said before, Tom, these were very, very specific. Like first step, American invasion of Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. Then it would be a move, quick move to Quebec. Um, once Quebec fell, the idea was that Canadians would have no way to really move men and supplies yeah, in either yeah, direction. They, yeah, cut, cut off their supply chains, right? Yeah. And then they wanted to capture the Great Lakes because that was like the industrial center. And then that would prevent any attacks on the American industrial centers in that Rust Belt region over there. Yep. So they had all, it's just like really detailed and you can actually look it up. Uh, because it, it comes out and this it is a very even North detailed, Dakota got involved. Yeah, North Dakota they're gonna capture um railway systems in Winnipeg and then join this blockade yep. and they're gonna do an amphibious invasion. They capture British Columbia in the West. So they had it all like planned out in great detail. And what's kind of weird is if you continue reading that, the Canadians kind of knew that the Americans were planning something or had this plan. So they created their own defense for it. Yep. Like totally not knowing what it was, yep. called um defense schism number one. And it was basically, you know, protecting those areas. Like they were, they're, they said, listen, they're going to strike Montreal. We got to protect Montreal. We have to protect the Great Lakes region first. Okay. And all this plan. And they, all, their whole plan was basically to stall the Americans as long as possible until Britain came the in. British arrived. The Britain arrived. They did plan for a small amphibious invasion um, in Maine. So imagine that, like Canadian troops landing in Maine. You know? All things considered, I think this is insane. We're talking 1920s. Like, the yeah. 1920s. Whenever I teach 1920s, in no way, shape, or form, I'm talking Jazz Age, I'm talking Harlem Renaissance, you know, I'm talking isolationism, and here the United States is literally planning an invasion of Canada just in case, because you know what? England's the weakest it's ever been, and the Canadians, as smart as they are, are like, yeah, they might want to do this. So here's our plan, and their plan is basically a strike not strike first but really a defensive right like we're going to yeah, defend as long yeah. as we can until the british get here to help us yeah. but the british were not in a good place in 1920 no and then and then they find out later on this is much later on that like the britain the british basically the royal navy determined that canada was indefensible it was too big to really defend and there's no way they would have sent a large force to help but the canadians had no idea so their whole war doctrine is we're going to defend ourselves until the british come to help and that was, was never going to take place. So again, it's something that it's something that's never going to happen nowadays. Obviously, yeah, yeah, no, no. but how the with how the ties with the countries and everything like that, and the free the free movement that you have, particularly between um, Canada and the United States. But it's still interesting that this was actually put on the table. This was actually put together. Like, again, World War II stops all of this. Like it, yep. it just ends it in its tracks, and that's going to be the end of it. It's going to start a very close alliance. Now the American and Canadian militaries are very intertwined. Same thing with the British. Like they're all members of NATO and everything like that, obviously. Yeah, and the plans for this they didn't actually become um, declassified until 1974. So you know, until the 70s, we had no idea that this was really happening. I remember when you and I drove into Canada. Uh, with our friend and uh, this was like pre GPS on cell phones and he had a, a GPS in his car. Remember and we're, like, I'm trying to get like maps and he's like, I don't need maps. It's in a GPS. And I'm like, it sure has yeah, Canada. And, and, and it just stopped. <laughs> it just stopped. We like so drove across the border. the border and like the map disappeared and we're like, uh... it didn't exist. Yeah. Cause you only have like a, it was on the U S yeah. Yeah. Didn't have any more GPS or didn't. Well, then you do it the old fashioned. We had to follow. Yeah, we had to follow signs. the signs. Yeah, this the was signs like legit. that craziness. <laughs> you know what? Now I, I believe every car you buy, like in North America, probably has built-in uh, maps for Canada. But we followed signs back in uh, like two thousand something. You know. 
those are the back days. in the day. Yeah. But yeah, so that like America had their plan. They had these plans for multiple countries. And just like other countries probably have a plan to attack the United States one day. If oh, yeah. Came to show. Well, they, especially they do. During, I mean, I think we'll talk about during that time. Well, we'll talk about one of them. Let's just skip to the one that I thought was kind of fascinating. I saw it on a bunch of websites. That was um, in World War One or prior to World War One, right? When the um, Kaiser wanted to invade the United States. Yes. The Kaiser of Germany. Because he hated the United States, apparently. He had a strong dislike. He didn't trust Americans. He didn't like capitalism, thought it wasn't moral. And there was a lot of friction between the United States and German-held positions in the Pacific. They held the um, Samoans, Samoan Islands there. And they didn't want like the Americans to come in. So he basically kept on doing this plan. Actually, in early as 1897, he ordered the German um, general staff to develop an invasion plan of the United States to yeah. um, basically destroy its economic influence. Okay, and he wanted to attack the the um, American Navy actually in Virginia. That was his plan. It was first going to attack the American Navy in Virginia, in Norfolk, Virginia, cripple it, and then invade from there. But then they constantly had to change a plan because the American Navy kept on getting stronger and bigger. Yep. And they're like, um, we can't do that plan anymore, particularly after the Spanish-American War. They had to like change it. And then they were like, we're going to invade New York and Boston. And they planned for like 60 warships, 100,000 German troops. Then they realized um, that's not going to be enough. The American Navy is too big for that, especially you know sailing across the Atlantic. And it just kept on getting bigger and bigger. And it like his member, basically everyone said, there's no way they can carry this out. But they're just kind of telling the Kaiser, oh yeah, we need... 600,000 soldiers and this, that, and it will be no problem. And he's like, excellent, excellent. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of like that sort of thing. But he he wanted this planned out. He, he wanted this to happen. Yeah, and his big thing was like this shock and awe, like a yeah. swift blitzkrieg swift. before blitzkrieg was a thing. He said it's the style, entire campaign of landing hundreds of thousands of German troops. He would basically just land them after he realized you can't really do Virginia and attack the U.S. Navy in Virginia during the Spanish-American War. He's like, I'm going to capture every large city on the eastern seaboard. Which was never going to happen. Like, just, yeah, no, you think about that, like, how, how are you going to hide a fleet coming across the Atlantic is the first thing. Uh, it's nuts. This By the way, we good. we fully, uh, even though there was hints of this and historians have really looked at this for quite a while, uh, this plan was known to them. It wasn't fully rediscovered or rather like discovered until 2002. Um, yeah, it became like a big deal. I remember hearing about it. It's like, oh, look at these. Do- they found the documents of yeah. the actual plan. And again, you're kind of seeing that a lot of like the general staff, they're kind of just doing this to like appease, appease the Kaiser. Yeah. yeah, because they're just like, all right, this is what he wants. Fine, we'll write it up. But this is no way this can actually take place and that's one reason probably why like try to then in world war one convince mexico we talked about that in our world war one plan right that they've tried to convict Mex- mexico to invade the u.s another one that almost happened uh, you and i briefly talked about before we click record is the uh sino-soviet war crazy if this happened holy christ I, I think it's interesting in a sense that you have like brezhnev is basically calling americans and are like Hey, uh, in case uh, we start dropping some nukes on our uh, friend China, like just don't do anything. But this was like really close to happening. It was thing too. So there was basically a border conflict between Russia, between the Soviet Union and China. Yeah, and it almost turned into a nuclear conflict. It all started what what, uh, what the communist sixty four Khrushchev. Yeah, Khrushchev yeah. gives a small island by the Usuri River back to China. By the way, Surrey right. River is is the border river that basically right, yeah, breaks border Russia. between the two countries. Yeah, yeah. Russia, Russia and China, and they tell you can have this you can have this small island fine and then they see this small island there and then um chairman mao basically says oh we want some other stuff too yeah and then, like, <laughs> and then they're like no this is not how it's going to work and then by 1968 the red army was massed on the border like just kind of waiting and chinese were like all right well we have they had this tall strategy 
uh, man over weapons. Basically, yep. you know, they had a, they had a lot more people. So we're just if a hundred of our soldiers have to die for every one of yours, so be it, right? And then the Soviets were like ready to be like, all right, fine, we'll do that too. You know, well, the like, Soviets were like, uh, you have people, we have nukes. So. Yeah, yeah, but they were like, they're like, we'll, we'll oblige you, but but and they realized they couldn't win conventionally because of those the huge numerical number advantage that the Chinese yep. had. So then they just realized, fine, um, we'll, we'll go to, we'll use nuclear weapons. We'll use nuclear weapons to win. This isn't, this is in what 68. So they got plenty. Yep. Like they have enough. Yep. And then they even, um, Brezhnev, yeah, he even, he contacts the U S we might, we might be going to war with, uh, China. So if it does, we ask you to remain neutral. <laughs> and this is what Nixon actually responds to that. And that's kind of what stops it in his tracks, because Nixon responds and says, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. And this will start World War Three. China and Soviet Union are the two big communist powers. So the idea yeah, so. from the Soviet perspective was like, America is going to be OK with this if they start killing yeah. each other. Let us just fight it out and see what happens. But they were like, no, one, yeah, dropping like, nukes on each happen. other. It's not going to be a good thing. And then if one overtakes the other, then what's, what's that going to be like? How's that going to be even larger communist power, right, theoretically? Or something. There's too many what ifs that could go wrong, I guess, in that scenario. Talk about Soviets. We might we might as well stay in the Soviets. We don't have to, but there's a couple of cool ones here. Did you see the one, the idea of the Soviets uh, having a plan of going to the seven days to the Rhine, I think it was called? Um, that was their original one. Yeah, that was their plan to, if they invaded Western Europe, right? Yep. Actually, NATO has its own plan. I guess we should start with the NATO plan because the Soviet plan which, is kind of like the counter to it. Which NATO plan? Because are you talking about an actual NATO plan? Are you talking about um, unthinkable? <sighs> I'm not thinking, I think, unthinkable happens after World War II, right? Like shortly yeah. thereafter. No, I'm talking yeah. like 1960, the American Single Integrated Operation Plan, oh, uh, okay. which is yeah. created in 1960. And basically the idea is that if there is uh, any form of fighting, you know, against Soviet Union, they basically decided that if that happens, the contingency plan called for just dropping thousands of nuclear strikes on all communist countries. So the idea was that they weren't even going to look at just Soviet Union. They were like, look, Soviet Union is controlling the Eastern Bloc. So if it comes down to it, we're just going to rain thousands of nuclear weapons on the entire Eastern Soviet Bloc. And the, the structure was absolute, that it really didn't matter what would happen after that. Like whatever happens, happens. If Russia retaliates, they retaliate. However, Russia had its own plan. And the Russian plan in case of uh, an attack was declassified in 2005 and the top secret plan was from 1979 that if the ever hostilities between nato and the warsaw pact evolved into something more of a war uh the pact was called the seven days to the rhine and it basically envisioned a soviet-led mechanized thrust into western europe so the Soviets they had like, such a big advantage right? like a five to one advantage in troop strength Exactly. And according to these declassified papers, Moscow was going to use nuclear weapons, but really the idea was to, while the bombs are falling... To so just you march have, their soldiers into it. They would march attack. their soldiers. Exactly. Yeah. Blitzkrieg attack. They would go through Germany, Munich, Nuremberg, Verona, Belgium, Netherlands, Denmark. And according to this plan, the Soviet commanders believed that they could be across the Rhine within a week and deep within France by the ninth day of hostilities, hence like seven days to Rhine. And the thought was that within two weeks, they can make it all the way to the Atlantic. 14 Europe. days to the Atlantic. Yeah, that was their plan. And as, if since the NATO forces weren't, they weren't stockpiled there at the time, right? They didn't really have their plan was just nuclear strikes. That, you know, this, they, if they just did this, the Soviets plan, we just go straight through like a hot knife through butter. We'll just make it all the way through. I just feel like that would never happen. Like think of when you oh. think of, you know, operation like the one bridge too far, Arnhem, right? Um, is that yeah. what, what was it called? 
in World yeah, War Two. Right. Yeah, but where... like even if they get that far, like the supply, they never be able to maintain it. Yeah, I mean it would be World War Three anyway, so who knows what's going to be what would be going on, right? The supply lines would be so long, so quick. I don't know how they would maintain those gains that quickly. Nuts. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Well, Wilfred, since we're talking about dropping nukes and stuff, let's talk about Operation Unthinkable. This is the one, yeah, that like, it's just unthinkable, right? Like that's yeah. basically, that's basically the plan. And because this was actually going to, the, the plan was going to, um, following the weeks following the VE Day celebration, Churchill had his staff draw up plans to expel the Red Army from Eastern Europe using British, American, Polish, and even surrendered German soldiers. Like he's like, hey, Germany, let's go. You're on our side now. So it was going to be a quick, a quick, like, basically sneak attack on Russia. And he said, listen, we have to nuke the Kremlin, like nuke it, wipe it out. And then that'll like wipe out the Soviets heads. And then we can just like, you know, Russia will be easier to deal with because he saw the threat that Russia was going to be. Whether or not he really wanted this to happen, I don't know. Like, I mean, I say, I don't know. The historians aren't sure, but he did have the plans drawn up just in case. And it was called unthinkable just to see if it was feasible. In a lot of ways, it was seen almost as unfeasible that the like a conventional war was unfeasible because the Russians which had such a huge war machine at this time and it would not have been popular in the um the western allies you know they were just war-torn by that point like why are we invading a former ally it'd be yeah. very difficult for a democracy to follow some type of, of attack like this well they also decided that this plan would never work without a massive american support and because that support was probably not forthcoming that's why operation unthinkable never really left this the, the drawing board stages the actual plan which is super highly secret did not become public until 1998 which makes you think right tom like you know this is 40 years later 50 years later uh like what are the contingency plans we have today and against whom uh, oh they right? everybody i mean i'm sure there's plans for all types of countries what to do and how to fight and they're probably always evolving like with everything that's going on like with, you have to think we have something with against ukraine Russia. and stuff and yeah there has to be there has to be they probably have something against us too like a plan i'm sure china has a plan you know i'm not sure if britain and stuff has plans but like NATO has to have plans against these. United States has individual plans. They, they come up with these strategies. Whether they work or not, who knows, right? But it's always changing. Look at all the new weapons. Now drones are going to be thrown in there, right? Hypersonic weapons, Space Force, whatever else they have that we don't even know about, you know? Like all these things would be used to like do certain things and strike certain what targets, civilian targets. I'm sure there's all these plans, but unthinkable. Was, it is no way you would have gotten American support with what was going on in the war. Like they wanted the soldiers to come home. Even I don't think British in a democracy, you're not going to have support for like being the aggressor. I yeah. don't think as I like that moment. You know, how, how are you going to spin that? I know? also have to say like if this had come through, if this actually worked, that would have had a, a huge impact on on my life, really. Because the premise here was that this really was the idea of a square deal for Poland, right? Poland yeah, they made sure Poland remained an independent state, which did not happen. It did not, yeah, because Stalin at the end of World War II promised that he was going to hold free elections in Poland 
uh, democratic free elections, which he actually negates on. He does not follow through. And Britain is extremely upset because Britain actually accepted the Polish government in exile during World War II, and they were the first ally of Britain. So Churchill felt obligated, a certain obligation to Poland, meaning like he wanted to kind of see to the end his promise to the Polish people that he was going to get their independence back. And yeah. we have to remember that the only reason World War II started is because Britain declared war on Germany as a After result of the German invasion. invasion of Poland. Like, Hitler didn't think the they would do. Yep. Hitler didn't think they would do that. Here you have Churchill essentially ordering this British chiefs of staff to come up with some kind of plan to not just deter, but really scare Soviet Union into following through on its promise of giving Poland independence and not making it a communist country. And it never comes to fruition and Poland becomes communist. And well, I was in Poland. Um, you know, it's the crazy part. Like I'm in Poland in first grade and the language I had to learn was Russian. Uh, my brother and myself, we had Russian in school. Like that was a requirement. My parents, their requirement was also Russian. Uh, it was a different world that I grew up in versus, you know, what Poland is today. But yeah, Operation Unthinkable. So a lot of historians argue that Churchill never really wanted, planned to really enact it, but it was just, just like kind of like a, could it be possible? Yeah, like what or if? Like you said, or like you said, it, he almost, some say maybe he wanted it to get leaked so the Russians would kind of be like, oh, well, are they planning something like this? Oh, maybe we should just give Poland what they want. But really what it comes down to too is Roosevelt and Truman later on after him didn't really care. Yep. Like well, they, didn't, they didn't really care about free elections in Poland as much. They're just no. more concerned with like containing Russia at that point, ending the war. You know, and they were also focusing on what was going on in uh, Japan. Yep, yep. So Okay, so let's, uh, I mean, there's so many, and actually we could actually stay in World War II alone and just turn this into a World War Yeah, you can see there's like 50 of them just here, yeah. But let's move to, um, how about we move uh, about a little bit earlier to the Civil War. Let's American go Civil, Civil War. War. Yep. Let's go American Civil War. So you got to remember that, like, it wasn't kind of guaranteed that the Union was, was going to win the Civil War, especially when it starts. The South really thought they, they were going to win, um, and they wanted to expand their territory outward, you know, mm -hmm. after the war. And they actually planned to invade Mexico and parts of the Caribbean and basically set up states there. They planned to expand the slave territories into Brazil. They um, had a lot of, um, they tried to destabilize parts of Mexico so they could, right after the war, they could take their battle-hardened army, which was doing, you know, they said, we just beat the North, ideally. Now we're just going to march south right into uh, Mexico City, take over Mexico, all these parts of Mexico. And they actually did send um, explorers that established two colonies in Brazil, right? New Texas and Americana. We need to do a podcast on this. Actually, yeah, just, and, that's yeah, there's like two, 20,000 rebels after the South. They, they actually go and live there after the South lost the war and kind of set up a mini confederacy down there in Brazil that I think is still there, right? Like they still yeah, have. Yeah, they have each year in a small Brazilian city to this day, um, the city of Americana throws this huge celebration to commemorate the 10,000 Confederates that moved just to Americana. Uh, you know, after they fled the South in the Civil War, like there's dances there. They all wear like Southern uniforms and Southern. I don't know dresses. how I feel about that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, I don't how, know I how I feel about that at all. Like if you well, Google I know, this, I know how I feel, but like I yeah, like no, like if you Google this, there's like there's like pictures of these people with Confederate flags everywhere, and it's this little town in Brazil, and everyone's dancing and they're celebrating the escape of Confederates. I, I don't, I, I don't know how. Like I said before, it's like those towns in Argentina that or look like you know German towns. So, yep, where a lot of like the Nazis went after World War II. It's the same thing. They just flee to South America, found an area, settled there, and people were like, fine, out of sight, out of mind, whatever, you know. And that that they're just those values are still there. It's, but it's something you don't hear much about. I remember kind of hearing about it, but then you know researching this, we saw a bit more. 
But uh, yeah, they had this whole, the Confederates had this plan. Uh, this was something that they planned on doing. Obviously, it didn't work out for them. I, I know a lot of Confederate people don't like to hear that, but it did not work out. So it's just it. nuts. Like, I mean, there's still descendants of American Southerners that wear Confederate dress uniforms uh, at these celebrations every year. Um, the Brazilian government actually set up informational agencies across the Bible Belt shortly after the um, Civil War that like offered to pay relocation costs for any American that was willing to make the move down to Brazil. It's one of the things in history. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll explore that more in a bit more in the future. Just yeah, like right. How it happens. Um, but yeah, that so that never happened because Confederacy lost. So they never went down to govern Mexico and established a larger nation. Although, the Conf- like I always tell my students, like if the Confederacy won, guys, like you would need a passport to go to like Disney World. Uh, yeah, but if, if there's a lot of books about that. Like if the Confederacy won, stuff, uh, I forget what they're called. What's the name of that watch. documentary that like do, shit was shot? In C- sense uh, of- yeah, CSA, the Confederacy of America, yes. like, as if the South won. Yeah, I forget who. I think it might have been like, was it Spike Lee? Or, or, no, it wasn't Spike Lee, but it was, I mean, it's, it's like a weird. It's surreal. Um, it's surreal. And then it winds up like everything falls apart at the end anyway, if you ever watch it. It definitely uh, it would have been very different, but I'm sure there would have been future wars between the two. Yep. I would say you so. Know? And, oh, but yeah, it, yeah. but if, if you really look at it, and I guess it's something if you ever dissect a civil war, I don't mean to like, branch off, but like the South really had no chance of winning. Oh, I don't yeah, the war, no. The war shouldn't have gone on as long as it did, if you really look at it. And yeah, that's, I think. Militarily. Yeah, there's no dispute with regards to the argument that what held the South together was its command structure. It was the talent that they had leading. And and a lot of the fighting was happening in the South. Well, yeah, they they had to. All they had to do is make a defensive war. I mean, that's all it was. Defend, defend, defend. And ultimately, the only two times, the real two times that the South was like, that's it, we're attacking the North. They both got whooped. I mean, they got destroyed at Gettysburg and in Antietam. Yeah, so, that was like, it. And then things didn't they, work they, out. For it, was, it was not successful. Like, so let's talk about invasions, because like we're, I think we're like kind of, you know, it's the conversation is going that place. Because there's two invasions I want to talk about. That's fine. Yeah. Um, one is Operation Downfall, which is the U.S. invasion of Japan that big never one, happened. Big it's one. Huge. Big one. And the other one I, I want to talk about is the planned invasion of uh, Napoleon's invasion of England. Uh, so let's do that one first, and then we can branch a little bit with Oper- Operation Sea Line, which was also a planned invasion of England. Then we'll do, then we'll close out with Japan because that's like the big one that was like really planned and ready to go. Yeah, let's do it. All right, Sea Lion, which bon- bon- Napoleon Bonaparte's Sea Lion invasion. It's eighteen o three, and Napoleon is determined that he's going to invade the British Isles. Right, that's his key. It takes him about two years, marshaled together over two hundred thousand troops, yeah. a massive, huge armada, massive. massive assault force. Um, on the northern coast of France, he is prepping for like D-Day before D-Day is a thing. It's taking, you know, 100, what, almost exactly 140 years before the event. The entire success of his plan hinged on the French fleet being able to drive the Royal Navy from the sea lanes that separated two nations. From- the English Channel. And he said he didn't even need to hold this for a long time. I think Napoleon has a quote. He says, yeah, let us be the master of the English Channel for six hours, and then we're masters of the world. Because he knows in six hours, he can land his army. And if his army lands in England, all right, this yeah. is, you know, the French army of 1803, not the French army that, you know, fights later on, which we're not going yeah, yeah. to. I mean, 200,000 um, troops, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they, they would win. Like, they were able, they, he, he's confident in that. But he just has to get them there first. And this is, you know, they don't have the amphibious assault crafts they have later on. Even you know, when Hitler wants to do this also in Operation Sea Lion, 
right? Yep. Years later in the 1930s, it can't happen because they never get air superiority, right? That's the whole. That's the key. Um, that's the whole battle of Britain. But uh, the point, even is thinking about using balloons, right? It was even that was talk cool. about balloons or something. And the French, I mean, the British thought that they were the French were trying to dig tunnels underneath the channel, which they weren't. But actually, they were trying to do like to invade. There were all these different theories because they just knew that he wanted to invade, but it, he could never happen. The British are the British Navy was just too powerful. So he just said, I oh, forget it. I won't invade England. I'm just going to go turn my massive army now against Central Europe. And that's what he does. Yep. It just, it's surreal because I think England at this time has to take this seriously because if, well, I think he was right. I think if Napoleon was able to land his 200,000 troops in our entire armada, right? Across the English Channel. Yeah. He takes yeah. over England, I think. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Except that's the beauty of it. He can't do that because England has the most powerful Navy in the world and and yeah. like he just can't do it. What one of those big what ifs? Yeah, no matter how much they wanted to, he didn't, he didn't even try. That's the thing. You have this massive army, and you have this, you know, all these ships, and you have all these soldiers ready to go, and he still doesn't even try because he's like, it's, "We're still not strong enough." So I was think about that for a second. Like, you know, as big as the forces he had, he's like, "There's still not enough." It's still that they put him over. I'm not going to risk it because we're still, we're probably not going to be able to do it. He Talk couldn't even control it for those six hours. Right, but talk about the parallels between Hitler and Napoleon in a sense that Hitler calls his takeover, plan takeover of Britain, Operation Sea Lion as well. Sea Lion, yeah. It's yeah, the it's the same thing. thing, same premise, same idea. And you know, and then he goes and does the same mistake that Napoleon does by attacking Russia, which is a whole another issue. Those who don't understand history are doomed to repeat it. But we're not trying to teach you out there how to invade other countries. Yes. So don't don't think that don't you're like, that. you know, don't gonna, yeah, that's that's not nice. Don't do that. Uh, history teachers talking uh, <laughs> told us to uh... <laughs> no. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about the biggie here: uh, books and comics. Yeah, this is the one that com- everything, everything, everything has. This is this is one that was definitely planned, ready to rock and roll, and then uh, things change basically. And that was Operation Down Downfall. It was yeah. going to be designated, I think, also X Day, right? The actual yep. landing, but it was all planned out, which was the um, Allied code name for the invasion of Japan at the end of World War II. And um, it was going to be the largest amphibious invasion in world history. It would have dwarfed D-Day. So think about that for a second. As yep. we know, D-Day is the largest amphibious invasion of man- in the history of mankind. And it was massive. This would have dwarfed it. And it was actually going to be two separate or two separate um, invasions. One codenamed Olympic, the other codenamed um, Cornet. And they basically landed on the main Japanese island of uh, Kushu. And at this point, that entire the Japanese also realized that's where they were probably going to land. Yeah, it was way too obvious. And the plan, I mean, was, because of the Japan's geography, the invasion plan yeah, was quite obvious. It had to be there. That's where, that's where it was going to have to be. And they had over um, 35 million regular reserve and constricted troops ready to go. I mean, it's those famous pictures or stories of having like the children sharpening sticks, getting ready to go kill the Americans and stuff like that. And they, the study from the War Department actually es- estimated 1.7 million American casualties. Imagine that 1.7 million American casualties just on this invasion alone, not counting even happened before, just that, and that the Japanese casualties would have been over 100 million. That's surreal, isn't it? So, yeah, and obviously, you know, they were planning on, they were going to land on the islands, move up their planes all the way near Tokyo. They were, the plan called for 5 million American troops with an additional 1 million British troops and Canadian troops also coming in there, which is just not like, this is like a huge invasion all, all the part of the world. And it was planned out. It was getting ready to go. I know that, you know, my grandfather served on a minesweeper and he was on his way to Japan in 1945. And he was, you know, they told him, yeah, we're, we're, you're going to meet up and we'll get off the minesweeper. You're going to be part of the invasion force. And he was like, well, that's the end of me. And he was kind of just like, all right. And then the war ended. 
Before that, yeah, and obviously because the atomic bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but the soldiers had no idea about that. So my grandfather was actually the first Navy personnel to land in Japan after the war. They landed in Kobe, Japan, and they stayed there for about a year and a half after the war as as part of the occupational force. And they were, but they were originally on their way there, clearing the mines, and then they were going to join up with the invasion force and be part of that invasion force, part of that five million that was going to invade those islands, the, the main island. So it was just, it's just crazy. I know we That's use that word cool. a lot, but like, it's yeah. just one of those things that like history is going one way and then it's suddenly this sharp turn and the turn was, was the atomic bombs, which is a whole other debate, a whole other issue, a whole other everything, but it did end the invasion from happening. So yes. you can't argue that the atomic bombs stopped Operation Downfall from taking effect because it wasn't needed after that. It's also, I've spoken to numerous uh, World War II veterans um, just doing research for, for my books and it, it's, you know, interviewing the elder people uh, and veterans, it's not really about asking questions. It's more about listening, you know? So whenever I, I interview them, I kind of like start off with not the war, even though that's what I really want to get to. I start off with their childhood, like, well, you know, where'd you grow up? What were you interested? And it kind of to, to get them talking. And once you have veterans start talking, they kind of lead into the conversation of the war themselves. And somehow it, it always winds up uh, that I have yet to meet a, a World War II vet that was against Harry Truman and his decision to drop the atomic weapon. Because at the end of the day, the way that American soldiers saw this in 1945 was, well, if not, there would have been Operation Olympic. If not, there would have been Operation Downfall. And if not, I may not be talking to you about this right now in 2022 or 2023. But yeah, crazy. I just read a comic book about this. Like, what if downfall happened? Well, the war would have gone on for years. If, like, there's even there's even some that the war lasted until the into the 50s, even, which I think theoretically could have happened. Well, you know, Soviet Union was going to get involved. That was a whole other thing. Yeah, because Americans were thinking what five, there was like five thousand, five million Americans were going to go, and then one million. Yeah. British, of like British such, and then another million of Canadian. like other. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Russians were supposed to invade also. They were going to come down. So, I mean, that's a whole other issue, obviously, when the Russians come down. That's, is that why they dropped the bomb? Because the Russians, you know, the Japanese. Well, because the Russians did anybody. get involved. Remember, we did that, I think, in our Pearl yeah. Harbor podcast. One, I hope we did the atomic bomb. Yeah. I don't remember which, but we did talk about this once. The idea that like the Russians were basically starting the invasion of the Japanese conquered territories. Yeah. And we're like, eh, yes. wait a second. Yeah, we don't want that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nuts. And the plan was even once the atomic bombs were dropped, hey, let's we'll, we'll drop a few more atomic bombs on Japan for, before the invasion. So it wasn't even like, you know, they thought that that was going to necessarily end the war instantly. Yep. So there was planned, oh, we'll drop atomic bombs here, atomic bombs there, and then invade the next day or two days later. Didn't have full understanding of radiation and fallout, obviously, on that point. Just think any one of these invasions would have changed the course of history. 100%. Any single one. Whether, whether the invasions worked or not. Just the fact that it happened. Imagine if we invaded Canada. Man. You know how that how that how that would change things. Time? Just think of all the syrup we would have. Just oh my think God, of that, Tom. Tom. Just think at of that, that time, though, right in 1920, had we invaded Canada, I I think there might have been something to it. I don't know if England and Britain rather would have been. All no, they wouldn't. Home. There would have been, been like, okay, we'll negotiate something. Yeah, and I'm not saying let's invade Canada. I was going to say I love Canada. Really, I love Canada. Nothing against Canada. That was a nice intro to invasions that were planned but never happened uh there's so many more especially uh when it comes to world war ii many smaller ones you guys out there are interested please just go and look these up there's a lot of cool ones if any of you guys need to find us you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com uh if you have any comments or reactions please feel free to email us 
and leave a review wherever you guys listen to this podcast. We do appreciate that. So I guess until next week, see you later, guys. Stay safe, everybody. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.